This is Dan Morello, Senior Managing Director of Compass in New York City, and this is the Real Talk Podcast. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. This is episode 66. If you guys had listened to episode 65 last week, I was with the Compass Leasing Director, Julia Siegel. Rentals in New York City are in general a very hot, hotly discussed topic that not a, lot of one, not a lot of people want to talk about, a lot of people can relate to, a lot of people end up talking about it. There's a lot of anger in the field, there's a lot of frustrations in the field, there's a lot of, on the landlord side, successes and failures in the field. The topic is highly discussed within our sales meetings, but because it's rentals, it doesn't get the light that it should just because it's well from a business standpoint it's not very a revenue it's not a big revenue generator for brokerages that said about 80 percent of new york city residents who live in manhattan they rent the majority of the inventory for people that can live in new york city are rental properties so we're going to dive back in on a part two segment of the rental market with Dan Merlo, who I'm about to introduce. But before we go there, make sure to check out episode 64, one of my main contractors, Phil Garcia. If you'd like to dive into the world of general contracting and renovation work in Manhattan. And before that, episode 62, actually, my Adam Pure. I'm still reading the book, The Kings of New York, who is one of the editors of The Real Deal. The Kings of New York is a real estate focused book. The Real Deal helped publish this book. Uh, which talks about all the developers in New York City, all the players from Ken Swig, Harry Makalo, and even who uh, we actually, he's been in the news recently, uh, Stephen Ross, actually was just recently suspended by the NFL before the book was published. But that's a whole other topic. But today I'm with Dan Morello. To give you a little introduction about Dan Morello, pleasure to have you on, by the way. Pleasure to be here. Very busy man. Uh, I, first, I first met Dan at Town Residential. At the time, one of the fastest growing New York City brokerages, I was recruited there around 2010, and then met Dan, I think you joined around 2012. Mm -hmm. Prior to uh, town residential, Dan was a manager at City Habitats for almost 10 years. At present day, Dan helps and oversees several dozen agents and teams that make up the Compass real estate world in New York City. Fun fact about Dan, he also owns a couple F41 training gyms. Danielle, are you familiar? F45. F45, sorry, F45. Did you know this, Danielle? I've heard of them, yeah, I've seen them around. Your friend actually is a member at F45, right? Well, Anna, Clint Oh, she's a, a diehard yeah. F45. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, always seeing her there, I, <laughs> like you know, online. I, I didn't know what F45 was until earlier this year in May. I was bar hopping in Denver, mm-hmm. Rhino area, and there's a F45 gym. And as an avid gym goer myself, I did not know what it was. So I, I peeked inside, drunkenly peeked, peeked inside and saw the, <laughs> the push sleds, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Have I you tried it? I don't recommend doing it drunk. But. I, I 100% <laughs> would never do it drunk, but uh, I did see... The F45 gym. So that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know New York City had... Uh, you have three of them. Four of them. Four of them. Wow. Okay. You have one in Midtown East, one in Dumbo, one in the Lower East Side, and... One in Flatiron. One in Flatiron. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Is the... Uh, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this just a minute. Is franchise fees pretty expensive for that, or...? Let's go to the nitty-gritty. It depends on what you've negotiated at, at first, but and their model's changing a little bit, and it depends on your franchise agreement. But at first, and as of right now, we're still locked into a flat fee with... Uh, the potential of it going to a percentage of gross sales, which actually doesn't do well for us here in New York City because gross sales are high, 
versus your actual cost of operating. Right. Mm. So that's in discussions. Okay. <laughs> Great question. Interesting. Yeah, I, um, I, I've always looked at franchises as a really nice side business. Yeah. Does it take up a lot of your time as a, as a I mean, this is your full-time gig as a, as a real estate manager. It is. Uh, I could tell you, so we opened one a year uh, for four years. Mm-hmm. And Even during COVID 2020 when things were shut down? That was the only year we didn't open, mm. but we did open one at the end of 2021. So it takes a lot of time in the beginning because we didn't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah. Right. And now that we've we've done four of them and and sort of built out scale and systems, we could probably open you know four more of them in the next four months if mm-hmm. we wanted to. Wow, that's um, amazing. And because we have systems in place, you fire the right people. Um, and really, the hardest part for us in New York City rent. is finding the space. Finding the space for rent. Well, finding the space at the right <laughs> economic. Yeah. F forty five. Does it have to be in a retail space or does, can it be upstairs? It can be upstairs, but the challenges you deal with that is noise. Noise, yeah. load bearing. Yeah, yeah. so true. like we don't, like uh, two of our spaces, we have a tiny little entrance off the street and then we go downstairs, which is ideal. Very. Because you're not dealing with any noise issues. The Orange Theory I attend every morning is also downstairs in the basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No windows, which is kind of dark but i guess it's all right as long as you have air circulation you're getting fresh air so you don't know what there happens is. behind the scenes when you're looking at the space you're looking Each at back. all the venting yeah you know how do you vent this outside how do you get the fresh air inside um so there's a lot that happens behind the scenes and, wow. and when you open up when you own a few retail every time you walk into a restaurant or store the first thing i do is look up and say what oh. kind of sprinklers oh. do they have how do they do this what do they do with the lighting interesting so you start to see spaces in a different uh, lens. Who do you use to scan for retail properties? Is Jake Velasquez, Dave Graff? Shout out, <laughs> shout out to shout out to my pod, podcast. Me. <laughs> so as a broker, I know it's probably bad. We don't really commit to anybody specifically. I mean, there's a guy that has done two of our four spaces. Uh-huh. Being that we're pretty visible in the market, we have a lot of spaces that are sent to us way pre-market. For example, oh, okay. they know a business is going out of business, a fit, another fitness business, and they'll right. say. You know, they haven't handed the keys back yet, so oh. we're not showing, but we can get you in type of thing. Got it. So we've we've seen, so during COVID, when everybody thought no one would move back to New ever. York City ever, and there was nobody walking down the streets, we saw 56 spaces of wow. pre-built out gyms in three months. And That's actually pulled the trigger on two of them. Amazing. Yeah, so way to capture that opportunity. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Andrew Heiberger leasing 110 Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. We are right now in an undisclosed location, aka one day, <laughs> and he built out an office space in two thousand and eight or two thousand nine. Two floors up. Captured. That's right. Captured uh, very low rents at the right time. He pulled the mm-hmm. trigger when everybody else is retreating. The gym world is a very interesting world, and um, yeah, and I, I'm really uh, actually really cool that you're actually in that. I didn't know this. Well, it's not much different than the real estate business. No, I'll tell course, you why. Yeah. So you think you're getting into the fitness business, and yes, that's the service you're selling is your fitness. But it's all lead generation. Ah, It's about how do you get people in the door? How do you give them the right service and experience and get them to refer their friends to come to the gym and stick with you? Right? So not much different than real estate, right? You need people in the door. You want to give them good service. You want them to refer your friends. So it's the same real idea, just through different avenues. Okay. Would you try out a F45? I don't know anything about the structure of the class, but I would try it because I like so it's high fitness classes. Interval training. Yeah. It's geared towards all levels, so don't be scared. Sounds um, perfect. And it's fun. Yeah. I, I'm try it. I, I was looking at their <laughs> website doing a little research. F stands for functional training, a mix of circuit and hit style workouts geared towards everyday movement. And the 45 stands for a 45 minute workout. 
Correct. So oh, Sunday perfect. through Friday are 45 minutes. Saturdays are only one hour class. Are you thinking of a Jersey City location by any chance? So there is one open in Jersey City. Yeah, on I passed place. Oh, you oh, I passed by. So you know. Okay, you know. I passed by. You know, I mean, she lives there. So to put it in perspective, we opened up uh, Flatiron before there was any on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. um, and since, there's probably 150 to 175 of them open. Wow. So okay. once somebody opens in the area, it says, watch this. And then they start, the franchise itself starts marketing, right, to other franchisors to, to spread the business. Sure. Oh, okay. That and they sense. sell territory. So to put it in perspective, like everyone says, oh, you have the territory of Manhattan. No, we happen to own three of them in Manhattan. But you can carve up, Manhattan is carved up into probably 26 different territories. Like imagine there's 26 like, F45s, it's almost a Starbucks. It's like, uh, yeah. So it, it's an Australian-based franchise. And in Australia, there's no more territories left. Oh, I didn't know you it was You really have to buy somebody out to get in. And oh, that's wow. how, I mean, it's almost like here with Starbucks. You go around the corner, like, I just saw one right. 100 feet away. It's almost the same. Oh. I didn't know that. Uh, a yeah. lot of opportunity. So for those, shout out to, you know, future aspiring franchisers. There's a lot of territories left in Manhattan. <laughs> Don't come to my territory. <laughs> <laughs> because this is your full-time gig, mm -hmm. uh, how do you manage all that time to operate three or four, I'm sorry, four franchises? And uh, Yeah, so we have, I have two partners. Mm -hmm. one, one of them is my roommate from college, and okay. then the other is his brother. So um, we've known each other for 20-something years. We didn't know, we didn't have a rhythm in the first year, and we now finally have a rhythm. So I deal with a lot of the back ends. Mm -hmm. I deal with the vendors. I deal with the landlords. I deal with the contractors. The air conditioning units, everything I can deal with virtually, mm. right? So my partner, Luke, who played college football, is more into the workout itself. He's about the experience on the floor. And then I have my partner, Jeff, who has an attorney background, deals with all of our legal, legal contracts, yeah, all stuff like Very that. Strong. So we all have our sort of lanes we stay in. So now we know someone comes out to me at me with something you got to speak to jeff mm. you got to go to luke with that mm. and then they're doing the same with me go to dan with that and then we That's also cool. have a general manager we have head trainers for each studio and then we have trainers into there then we've got front desk staff this is a whole nother podcast about franchises and running a franchise so, so what knowledge. they do well it's a lot a of people a lot of people are are misconceived is that you know it's easy to just open up the doors no, no basically would... they're giving you the business, right? Which is for us the workout and the aesthetic, and we have to bring it to life, mm -hmm. right? And we have to manage the whole process. Meaning, you I mean you own a business. The only thing you don't own is the really the the thought or the invention of the workout. How many years did it take for you to become profitable? <laughs> it depends on the, on the location. <laughs> well, it depends on the location. Yeah, but so. for example, like our newest one that we opened in Midtown East, we opened the doors profitable. Mm. Wow, uh, we got a we have a, we got a good deal on it, yeah. so we had a, a decent amount of free rent, and just from experience, we knew like leading up to it. I mean, we had over two hundred members, which is really good before we opened the doors. Wow, so we well, hit the ground profit. That's really good. Where in Midtown East? Third Avenue, uh, right? Yeah, fifty third and third, yeah. fifty fourth and third. It's right there. I mean, we have a, a Redemption Bar and Grill. <laughs> but that was a. There used to be a title boxing in that space. That's so right. Yeah. That was open for 18 months. They closed the door during COVID. So we Took inherited that. a two million dollar build out that we didn't have to spend. That's uh, yeah, literally that's, that's threw a hundred thousand dollars of paint. And, on yeah, the wall. In the 50s, wow. there just from a real estate landscape perspective, I mean, there's not a lot of other gym. Yeah, there's an Equinox on 54th and Second, but there's not a lot of other gym options. There's a Soul Cycle there. Is it Orange Theory? There's an Orange Theory there. 
But it, you know, if you were a Murray Hill Midtownies resident, I mean, you know, what, what kind of other? If you like the hit train, like where else? Other, where else would you go? Well, it's kind of the perfect in our eyes. It was the perfect balance of residential and commercial. Like I mean, Third Avenue really divides that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it does. To the east offices. is residential, and to the west is all offices. Tons of offices. So, People that if you work get the, the best lip, of both worlds. If you yeah. work at the Lipstick Building or Bloomberg. I mean, there's really yeah. you know, it's really kind of a no-brainer. I would re- much rather go there than the Crunch Fitness on 59th and Third downstairs. Okay, so. Let's dive into real estate. I'm gonna. I know nothing about real estate. Switch by the way. gears. I know. <laughs> I want to switch gears. I want to give me one. We're gonna do this. It's a, it's a kind of a quick session here of short word answers. One to three. One to two words. Three if you have to use your put your vocabulary hat on. I know you're good at that. Also, and uh, give me your first initial thoughts of these words that I will about to say. Okay. Cue music. Game show music. On. Okay. TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> Very effective. 2022 New York City rental market. Insane. Real estate reality television. False. (laughs) Town residential. Interesting. Andrew Heiberger. Brilliant. Rent control and rent stabilization. Dwindling. City habitats. Stepping stone. Limited listings, limited exclusives. BS. (laughs) BS. <laughs> That's good. Open listings. Rat race. Street easy. Enemy. Street easy pro or neighborhood expert program via street easy. Necessary evil. Inflation. Real. Cryptocurrency. Confusing. Bonus. Gordon Gollum. Mentor. Gary Mallon. Ex-boss. That's it? <laughs> uh, Barbara Corcoran. Uh, Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Rob Rafkin. Wow. I hate to use the same word. Um, brilliant as well. I, I don't... I'm trying to think of another word. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, warm-up questions. Just a few sentences. Yeah. This is not one or two words. You could just... We're gonna they're gonna punch through all of these really quickly, but just a couple sentences if keep it as short as possible. And then we'll go back and have some questions on your one word answers. Where are you from and what neighborhoods have you lived in in New York City? Bergen County, New Jersey, where I'm from. I lived in Hell's Kitchen, I lived in Upper East Side, I lived in the West Village, I lived in Murray Hill. Oh Manhattan, huh? I don't live in Manhattan right now. Okay. Yeah. Where, where you asked where I lived in Manhattan. Where are you, where are you living in now? Uh, I literally just bought a new development Toll Brothers project oh, out yeah. in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Toll Brothers, man. I just moved in uh, in March. But you could learn a lot from Toll Brothers. Uh, I bet. Well, yeah. actually, maybe they, we'll circle they've back. Got, they've got a little system going on, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Go to restaurant in Brooklyn or Manhattan. I'm going to say Campagnola on the Upper East Side. Oh, why is that? Authentic Italian, sort of under the radar. Mm-hmm. Where's it located? 73rd and 1st. Okay. It's right by J.G. Mellon, huh? Yeah. Oh, 73rd and 1st. Oh, yeah. Okay. 73rd. Oh, yeah. On the southeast corner, there's an Italian restaurant there. Is I that, think that it's one? mid-block, but it's on 1st. Oh, mid-block. On the okay. uh, east side of the street. Oh, on first okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Campanula. Okay. Campanula. Ch- check it out. I'll it's hard to get check it out. It. Is it? But okay. you walk in there, like you're always sitting next to a celebrity or something like that, but no one's ever heard of it. It's, it's yeah. the, the middle of the block there is very quiet. Yeah, there's not yeah. a lot of traffic there. Oh, uh, rest in peace, Session 73. Did you know it closed? Session 73. It closed I, recently. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. The, the, what makes New York City the best city, in your opinion? I think variety. You know, I, so I, I, my history, you know, I lived in the city for 15 years. I moved out for five, and I was bored as hell. Mm. Where'd you move out to? I moved out to Rockland County. Okay. You know, there's the same handful of restaurants. Yeah. And of the handful, only maybe one or two of them is, is good. And when I say good, it's comparatively speaking. And just the fact of, like, here you can walk around the block, and it's, it's great. It's interesting. There's people running around. There's a new store that opened. There's energy. And I feel like you don't get that anywhere else. No, I agree. Favorite New York City neighborhood and why? Uh, West Village. Um, so I lived there for a quick stint in the middle of the pandemic. Um, literally June of 2020. I rented a short-term, like, furnished. Oh, nice. Uh, on Bleecker in um, Grove and Bleecker. Why did you do that? <laughs> Long story. But Grove and Bleecker, and I lived right outside this little cafe. I still don't know the name of it, but I would walk out. And just the tree-lined blocks and the quaintness of it. And it's just... It's like you've escaped New York with being in classic New York, if that makes any sense. It does. No, Absolutely. Of course. That's why everybody, everybody loves yeah. the West Village. Who doesn't like the West Village? I haven't yet to meet one person that has ever said, I hated living in the West Village. Yeah. Unless it was like a divorce or separation. And, and you know what? Prior, I was like, I don't really get it. Like, everyone's going to spend all this money living in the West Village. And I get it. Now. Yeah. This so, is it. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Do you have a role model in the real estate industry? Who and why? I hate to be cliche, but I would probably say Leonard Steinberg. Mm. I just think, yeah, you know, there's a lot of egos in this business. 100%. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, lie, cheat, and steal mentality type mm. of thing. Mm. And, and he has none of that uh, and has been able to maintain a substantial business and, and be a top broker in the country. Yeah. No, I get it. That's Just I by holding a high level. That's a very uh, cliche answer, yeah. but that's always the right answer in my opinion yeah. as well. Favorite city outside of New York City or favorite state outside of New York City? doesn't matter. And why? I'll give you my... F so I, I, Florence, Italy would be one of my wow. favorite cities. Okay. I live there you know right after well. college. Nice. Yeah. Favorite little escape nearby, I would say Long Beach Island, New Jersey. Oh, if right. anybody's yeah. been. Been a um, bunch of times. It's another hidden gem. I mean, Huge. you tell people from New York, Long Beach Island, they say, oh yeah, Long Beach, Long Island. No, no, no. no. no, no, no. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. So it's a little escape. You go over that bridge. It's an 18-mile uh -huh. uh, barrier island. Mm -hmm. You're never more than a quarter mile from the water. Uh, and something special about it. What's that diner on the on the left side of the road on the northern part chicken of the Chicken and the egg? Yeah, chicken and the egg. That's the right. southern yeah. part of the island. Oh, it's the southern part. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's, uh, Chegg, it's called. One right? of the best. The locals call it Chegg, oh. chicken and the egg. Yeah, yeah. So good there. Yeah. There's a line there. For at least 15 hours a day, because they're open 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, oh, my gosh. Go. Yeah, you go there at 2 in the morning with mm -hmm. people eating uh, fried chicken. It's iconic. So, yeah. Iconic. Love that area. All the houses there are on, uh, they're forward-thinking, too. They're all on stilts. Well, after Sandy, they <laughs> yeah. passed a new law that they had to, well, the new ones have to be raised. Yeah. But even the old ones, they're old actually ones. raising them. Mm -hmm. So they pick them up. It's interesting to watch it happen. They pick the houses up and raise them and then throw stilts in them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a... A college buddy of mine he said that the real estate there is interesting because once the older generation of homeowners start to not want to go up those stairs every time they mm -hmm. go to the beach because they're all in stealth, they sell them. So it's actually a pretty good business for if you if you've been in the business for a long time out there, it's a good and business. Some of the homes them. too. I mean, they sell. just financially <laughs> doesn't make sense to spend the money to put them on stilts. Yeah. No. Versus knock no. them down and start over again. That's right. Yeah, it's not like the Hamptons where you can have a big estate, right? It's yeah. Little home so fifty by hundred lots. That's right. And you're you're limited to twenty four to twenty six hundred square feet, and that's it. Oh gosh, yeah, such good memories though. It's such a fun little island. And let's see here. What is, oh, give me an insult that you've been, uh, you've received that you're proud of. I'd say 
probably a um, thick-headed, maybe. Thick-headed, okay. You know, just but I uh, maybe a, just opinionated. <laughs> kind of have to be when you're in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's an ideal day for you in NYC? What does it look like? <laughs> an ideal day in NYC. Started off with F45. Yeah, I mean, I start, and this is probably, a, you know, a question that you'll ask me later is, like, what's a routine? And one of my routines is to work out in the morning. Yeah. You know, the first thing I do, it's, it's um, so, yes, work out at one of my gyms first thing in the morning. All right. You know, it's the one time where you can not look at your phone, shut off, and your phone's shut not ringing, nobody's texting you, Nobody. ideally. Then I would say maybe have breakfast down at Balthazar. Ooh, right? yeah, good choice. Yeah, walk around Soho a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then head up maybe to Central Park, do a little Just walk. walk up there. Walk through the park. Hopefully no, it's not as hot as yesterday. We're not, we're not walking <laughs> we're not. right now. We're going to take the subway. <laughs> Steal horse. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then dinner at uh, Campagnola. Why not? Campagnola. That's what right. a perfect yeah. day. That sounds like a perfect day. Final quick question. What's your, I always talk about morning routine, huh? Give me your ideal, your younger days, your ideal evening slash nightlife routine. <laughs> I'll switch it up. Well, I would say when you were in your younger years. You've been here for <laughs> Back <a little> then. <laughs> yeah, my day. So we had a good, I had a, a pretty close-knit group of friends here. Nobody lives in the city anymore, but there was 18 of us. And it was Tuesday nights, mm. Thursday nights, oh. and Saturday nights. Religiously, we were out. Why were Tuesday nights out? Tuesday, well, and Tuesdays and Thursdays back in the day were like, I those think. were the good nights. Those Did you know the that, real good nights. Were you They've always been the best. When you were, Are they still good? T- Tuesday's I always past nine now. So. Well, I don't know anymore, but like Tuesday's right. always been good. So, so tell me about like where would you go? What would you do? I mean, there there's a ton of places. I mean, there's the marquees of the world, which is still open. <laughs> oh, so you're a club guy. Cheetah Bar. Yeah, I mean, we we were out at club the whole bottle club thing. I mean, that was it. We were in our twenties, you know, just starting to make money. Didn't have children. Yeah. Or any any responsibility. It's the best. Right and. Um, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and say, how did I get home? And then cheetah. I don't you get home cheetah. at 6 in the morning, you go to work at 9. And huh? you're fine by 11 wondering what you're going to do that night. You know, now if I did that, I'd be probably yeah. in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> cheetah. Do you remember the Cheetah? I don't remember that. No. Cheetah was on 27th I've never Street heard of that. Here. Oh, you went out on 27th Street. Wow. That's uh, that's that's yeah. that's further north for a night out. Uh, any, <laughs> other, any other locations that maybe do not exist anymore that... I'll give you even before then. I mean, so I used to hit the hit the tunnel up, right? Tunnel, limelight, uh, sound factory. Mm. Back in the day, this is the late nineties. Oh, okay. This is like the Peter Gation days when he okay. so the tunnel was on Twenty Seventh Street. Okay. It was one of the biggest clubs. There was twenty seven rooms in the tunnel. You would get lost. What does that mean? Like everything was cooler back then. No, it's called the tunnel. So if you see twenty seven <laughs> rooms, if you take Twenty Seventh Street all the way to the West Side Highway, yeah. there's a building on the corner there. I think they actually oh, turned it into yeah. a mall. That yeah. used to be a club. You would never know it's a club during the day. They would have stairs you go in, and you would get lost in there. There used to be a bar in the bathroom. It was insane. 27th Street. No, it's right by Fine Then you had Limelight, which is the old church right around the corner from here. Mm-hmm. Right? You guys know Limelight. Yeah, no. it's, still, it's still there. Well, that, it's still there. Grimaldi's Pizza's in it. Yeah. And there's yeah. also, uh, there's now a, a spin studio There's like there. a restaurant. To, uh, yeah. Well, that's the pizza place. They've thing. tried making it uh, oh, a I know mall. What you're They've done mm-hmm. a bunch of different yeah, things. Yeah. And there was um, Sound Factory, which is on 56th Street. No idea. was huge. And these things were open 24 hours a day. So you would go in Friday night and come out Sunday. Wow. Yeah. Come out Sunday. What if a you different time. To, if yes. you wanted to. That's pretty aggressive, huh? <laughs> yes. So this is the <laughs> 90s club scene. Come on. I want to uh. talk to you about, we're going to go in and, and go back to your quick uh, one to two word answers. You said Andrew Heiberger as mm-hmm. a, uh, a brilliant Mm-hmm. Uh, individual and, and he's always been a mysterious character to me he I you know I was one of the first town brokers and we talked then but he was never really 
maybe I didn't feel the hundred percent transparent in yeah. what he wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish. And what's your relationship with with him? What was your relationship with Andrew Heiberger back in the day when you were at City Habitats? Yeah. And what is it? Do you have a relationship with it, with him now? So I started right out of college, two thousand one, at City Habitats. Mm-hmm. Twenty early twenties. So I yeah. was twenty two or twenty three years old. And, you know, I looked up to him. I didn't know any better. And, he, you know, he, was, he built something that didn't exist in the city. I mean, he built a, at one point, we had 17 offices and 1,000 agents doing rentals in the city. And you were a rental agent there. So I started as a rental agent. And then he ended up, after, I think, eight months, giving me my own office, which was on 76 and 1st. So you just skipped right into uh, management instead of, like, wanting to become a sales agent or... I mean, those. sales wasn't even, in, it wasn't even a conversation. It was weird. It wasn't a conversation. I mean, I was 23 years old <laughs> and I was in this like incubator called City Habitats with all other 20 year olds Stop. running around making money uh-huh. doing rentals. Yeah. yeah. Like the thought of sales was like, you do that when you're 50. You know? yeah. Like it, w- it was almost an afterthought until years later when we were, when we merged with Corcoran and things like that. This is, be- this, was this when Barbara Corcoran had started Corcoran and she still ran it? She, Barbara Corcoran was still there. Still yeah. a CEO of yeah. Corcoran. Group mm-hmm. before NRT's correct purchase. Yeah, what was he like? I mean, what was the? I guess so. He, I mean, he, Andrew he was young at the time too. I mean, he, he was figure. Andrew was in his late twenties, early thirties. Wow, when he started that, yeah. right? So I mean, extremely energetic. I mean, one thing he was—he's brilliant at, and you probably didn't see—is is creating, right? Mm-hmm. So he's good at this creating. Created this this company with this atmosphere and this culture when we were unstoppable, mm. and he did something very similar at town. On an elevated scale, yeah. right? It was sure. a grown-up city habitats, yeah. really, right? And he and he quickly created this brand. I mean, if, at one point, I mean, there was people running in the door of town, right? We right. couldn't do any wrong, right? Yeah. Right, right. And to do that so quickly to battle the overnight. behemoths overnight, yeah. to battle the behemoths of the Elements and the Corcorans of the world in this market was was brilliant, yeah. Right now. The demise of town, why that happened, is another story, right? And everyone wants to point the finger at different directions. But he built something amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Which is not easy to do. What is what was the city habitats atmosphere like in the in the early two thousands? I mean, this was before Streezy and Zillow and. Mm You know, yeah, I mean, I realtor.com start, maybe. Uh, I don't even know. What, yeah, all of it, actually. What, what was it? What was the search functions? What was the app? So I, it's a funny like? story. So I started, um, my training consisted of my manager came in and he says, welcome, right? And uh, he's like, who's your manager? Uh, Jason Barocas. His oh, brother yeah. owns Andrew M- Barocas M- is the M- developer's brother. group and yeah. um, MNS. Yeah. So Jason sat, to, sat me down. He says, uh, have you ever heard of Craigslist? I said, yeah. I have. <laughs> and he says, have you ever posted? I said, I, no, I've never posted because it's easy. You just go in here, you hit post, and you go in the database, and you find one bedrooms that allow walls, and you advertise them as two bedrooms. When they call, you say, this apartment's available. When would you like to see it? And then when they come in, you show them four apartments. And four. I, four. That's the magic number. Yeah. Just Why four apartments. Four? And I said, okay, that's it. So he literally, and he put the ad up for me. And by the time I sat down on my desk, and I didn't have a computer on my desk, my phone rang. And I said, hello. Oh, he this says, is a landline. about the apartment. This is a landline? I actually had a cell phone. I think it was a BlackBerry, probably. 2002 BlackBerry? Wow. So I think it was a Nokia days. Literally sat down. And by the time I left his desk, sat down, my phone rang. says, I'm calling about the two-bedroom on whatever street. And I said, it's still available. Would you like to see it? He's like, I'm available today at 1. Great. See you at 1 o'clock. And I was like, wow. 
right? Yeah. So of course I go and show the apartment. The guy started yelling at me. It wasn't. This isn't a two bedroom. I said, Well, you could put the wall up here. Yeah. Cut oh, the kitchen in half or whatever the case. The wall wasn't there already, right? Right. It was, so uh, you had to build so, it. I did this, and I'm like, like I understand why they're calling me. I said they're under calling me because it's a really good deal, right? It's a good I said, But I do. I'm not personally going to run a business on lies. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I said, there's got to be another way of doing this. So I'm actually going to go into the database, and the database was a, a system called FileMaker. Okay. That like it wasn't online. It was an actual like application on your computer that you would go into. <laughs> And every listing had a single page, and you click through the pages. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, so I was like, I'm going to actually spend the time and go find the good deals. I'm going to go find the one-bedrooms that already have the walls up, Yeah. right? And I'm going to really get to know the market, so I'm not going to base it off a lie. I know why they're calling me. It's a really good deal, but I'm actually going to find the deal. So now, granted, my call volume lessened. Yes. But I was much more effective, and I wouldn't wasn't didn't have to be so defensive in the beginning. Right. And what I learned is like product knowledge is everything. So when I can get them on the phone, right, and I know like I ask them what they've seen, and I know every single apartment they've seen. I know that faces south. It's got the L line. Does this, and they mm-hmm. were amazed mm-hmm. because I really spent the time. All well, you didn't have a computer at your desk, so this is the, the, the difference of today's brokers. Like I couldn't just sit at my desk. And what do I stare at Work the wall? It. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what you would do is you'd have to get there early in the morning. You would print out all the new listings, and I would just go walk around and look at them. Right. You'd have Who's like you'd that? go see them. Just go see them. Yeah. In person. In person. And now an agent looks at you that just says, I have to go see them in person. Yeah. And it's foreign to them. But there's, you walk down the street, you know what's on the street, you know what the view looks like, you could actually see if it fits a queen bed, you know what it smells like when you walk in the lobby, you know the aesthetics of everything, you know what the the hallway looks like, right? So if someone's explaining to you what they like in an apartment, if you haven't seen it, it's tough to really land it. And Mm. I think that's where the certain... Everybody's putting pressure on our fees right now, yet we're doing less, right? Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. So like they're doing, the, the clientele right now is on Streeties or Zillow, whatever they are, they're doing the same work that most agents are doing. That's they're right. looking at these listings online. So how are you differentiating yourself? How are you adding value? How are you adding value? Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good question. I think the old school mentality of doing real estate and actually pounding the pavement yourself and previewing before anybody else Knowing the product, like you said, the mm-hmm. street, the views, the lines, mm-hmm. that if that gets lost, then I feel like the tenant side brokerage business will probably not be as prevalent as what yeah. it was back in the day. I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to die because everybody always needs help, but it's uh, it's not going to be as effective if you're a brand new agent. I even get here. nervous for the suburbs. We don't see it here in Manhattan, but I get nervous in the suburbs where those agents don't show their low sales exclusives. Oh, yeah. It's I, a, I don't, it's I don't a lock get that. Box. There's yeah, a lockbox. Yeah. I don't get that. Doesn't either. the buyer's agent just go? Just the buyer. But they don't know what the house But they don't know how to show the house. I remember when I bought my first house, the agent met with me probably because I was a direct. Oh, interesting. But she knew as a young person coming out of the city. So guess what she showed me first? She had the music playing in the rocks in the back by the pool. Right? I literally didn't even need to see the house. This is it. There's a pool and there's a hot tub and there's music coming out of the Take my money. Right? Are you kidding me? This is the burbs. (laughs) I did not even need to see the house. She knew. she She showed the house perfectly. And then when I went to sell it through her, she never showed the house. And it, <laughs> it drove me crazy. I said, I yeah. want you to do what you did with me. Yeah, do the same thing. Yes. Yeah, I never got the lockbox situation. Uh, you also mentioned, I, you know, what in- was interesting to me was you said limited listings and limited exclusives in New York City. You said that it, does, it doesn't really work. You don't like it. Why is that? And 
it, does it help the consumer? Does it help the, the client? Does it help the broker? So Who, who's just to define the limited listing, you're saying an unwritten exclusive. For example, Manichurian, BLDG, Solio Management. Those are more, I would say, open listings in my opinion. Right? Well, not everybody can get it not through everybody can get into a Manichurian listing. Yeah. I always found that fascinating. Uh, even when <laughs> Well, it's funny if you look at that portfolio in particular. I mean, some of it's given as part of it. Like there was a sale of 888 8888th Avenue mm -hmm. where part of the sale guaranteed listings for certain buildings to the owner of that company. Oh, right. So there's like a, a Because Manhattan Connections is also exactly. something like that. They own yeah. uh, the brokerage, so they yeah. want to make fees off of their so own portfolio. So there's like an old school deal. That it's I a had. very old school mm -hmm. mentality. Yeah. And, you know, I want to know your thoughts on it. I mean, obviously, you know, you managed offices that had accounts. Mm -hmm. Those accounts where other brokerages did not. Coming from agency called DJK Residential. Do you know Phyllis Phil Pesnick? Yeah, of course. I worked really... with her at one point. Oh, you yeah. lived with her? Worked. Oh, worked. Phyllis uh, Pesnick. She was I a city habitat manager. Worked, yeah, she worked at city. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I remember starting off at her, at her agency and I said, well, I want to show these buildings. And she said, well, we don't have that account yet. Mm -hmm. And that was always the you know real estate promise, right? Yet, yeah. future. <laughs> the industry is always sold on futures. But... You know, the, the, who does it help? You know, BLDG, Solio. Is, does it help them, the client, to, to be privately limited exclusives? I don't think so. I think it's confusing. I Very. Think, I think to the public it's confusing, right? Because yeah. you even have some buildings, have some listings with someone and some listings with another. That's right. And you're getting two messages with two different marketing plans and two, like, just two different personalities. Like, there's no, um, it's not uniform. Okay, so, do you, so you don't like it because of that. Yeah, I think it's just confusing. Yeah. It's not only confusing to the consumer, it's confusing to the broker. Who do I go to? What exactly. Do I do? We don't know. You don't know. Would you be open, if, if you were to give an, any advice, hypothetically, to a Robin Wolf of BLDG or, uh, just say, the owner of Manitrain, would it be that? Just open it up? Have more transparency? What would it be? Or have one person handle your whole portfolio. That's right. That's right. Right? So yeah. I think... There's two options when you're dealing with a, with, with uh, landlords of that size, yes. right? You either build out in-house and you make sure everybody has your listings, right? And you deal with that one person and it's a uniform advertising. Or you hire a broker to do all of that and it goes through one funnel instead of multiple funnels. They have such good properties in such great locations, mm -hmm. like Solio, like One Aster, for example, like mm -hmm. an iconic location, but it's... So frustrating from an industry standpoint, isn't it? To and it's gotten a hundred times better with Solil. I mean, back in the day, you couldn't get. So I'll give oh, you yeah, two. Oh yeah, tell me about back this. In yeah, the back Solil, in the day. Number one, you barely got their listings. You had to like Never. know somebody who that, knew about a listing in a building, yep. and you would drop an application and a processing fee into a black door on Fifty Something Street, one of their buildings, <laughs> right? And you would sit around and wait with zero communication until they got back to you. That could take one day, it could take three weeks. Mm -hmm. You would have no idea. I'll even go back to Pan Am Equities. Pan Am Equities. As a broker, you're like nervous, you're anxious. You have to take meds to and you have see nothing, if And you can't even report back to the client because you're like, I have no I idea. I dropped your application in a black hole. Literally, that's what you did. And, and you were like hoping someone would call. Uh, and it was nobody get in touch with it, so you just couldn't call. They would you never. wait for them. And then the other one was Pan Am, which is probably a little bit more organized and more fair. You would get the Pan Am Equities list faxed to you Fast. twice a day. That's right. You get one in the morning, one in the afternoon. It's like gold. And in between the morning and the afternoon, you would just hope to God it wasn't rented. And you would try <laughs> to fax your application down there as soon as possible. And then Geraldine would call up and say, that one's rented. 
If it was <laughs> after hours, you would bring your application at eight o'clock in the morning to one pen plaza or four pen plaza, four all pen, the way at yeah. the bottom. And if there was multiple people in line, which there typically was, you would roll dice <laughs> with Pan Am Equities to see who got the deal. <sighs> And not only did you just drop the application, Panama Equities, you had to do the whole lease package, right? So you had to put the whole lease package together yep. with rent and security. So a lot of and times your people are, and then roll dice. So you know, the, this is where it kind of goes into transition. But I think, and going back, yeah, this is where I said stepping stone for city habitats. Like you see a lot of good brokers in this industry right now. Like I would say the Danny Davises of the world and stuff like that, who cut their teeth at city habitats because it taught, it caught, taught you a grit. Yep. Yeah. On like how to fish, right? Mm -hmm. How to survive, how to go get a deal done. I mean, literally, you're going to Four Pen Plaza to roll dice to get your friend's apartment, you know, like or to get something happening and making sure your clients went to the bank before it opened and all this other. This is before bank wires and stuff. That's you right. To go to the bank. Certified and get check for check. You got to bring in the cashier's check. But it taught you a grit. It taught you how to hit the pavement and look at, look at, actually look at property, not online. Oh but look at property, how to be aggressive, how to make relationships with the owners. Like you'd have relationships with the owners and say, don't put this listing on your, on your, on the fact sheet this week. If you could let me run with it because you just rented two of their apartments. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was a lot of like that relationship building, knowing the right supers of Pan Am equities who would give you the keys and make copies of the keys. Nobody had keys. Right. But if you had keys, you got in first. I mean, you're really earning your, your yes. 15, seven and a half to 15% of the annualized rent as a tenant side agent doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a full contact sport. Yeah, oh, seriously. The rentals in New York City. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, it still is right now in some respects, but it, it was a really, really complicated system. And I um, always had an interest in learning why that always was. And it's hard. I mean, can you explain the, the, the reason? Why are the, what's the reason that Pan Am did that? It's because the volume of inquiries was too much. The phone calls were too much. The brokers were uneducated and they were pissing off whoever was the point person at well, the landlord's they office. They were right? a broker run landlord. Yeah. Right? So if you were even, this is the difference. They were, they functioned in their own world. Even if you were a tenant in their building, let's just call it, uh, what is it, Jennifer Towers sure. or New York 330 Towers. 39th Street. Yeah. So like, let's mm. say you were in 6L and you found out. 8L opened up upstairs, you would call them and say, get a broker. Yeah. You, you couldn't even move inside the building as a tenant. You had to go get a broker. You cannot do direct deals as a tenant. Yep. Same with Solio. Why is that? What, what's the benefit? Does it benefit the landlord a little bit? I don't know if it benefit. Well, I guess Reduce in order stress. for you to handle that <laughs> yeah. as an organization, you have to scale up, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you have to do? You got to go hire people to answer the phones all day. It's right, so much. you have to they do. Didn't want to do you got to do all these admins, do all the leases and the riders and the back and forth. And I mean, you know, as a broker doing it, let alone the, all they did automatically is they had ten thousand brokers working for them mm -hmm. without having to hire right. call it another twenty people. It's just a, a phenomenal world. The agency on West Seventy Second Street. When I I interviewed for one of them, it was I believe Barack, the Israeli guy who used to be a Juilliard uh, mm -hmm. musician. He works for Halstead now, but he, I, I was interviewing about agencies and I asked them, do you have this Pan Am Equities portfolio? Because I want to rent their, I want to be a rental agent and rent their homes or, or apartments. He said, no, but we are actually, and I was kind of interesting. Next month, we have an audition to rent their uh, two, uh, two South Seaport or whatever, the, mm. the most southern tip of Manhattan. Yeah. If we get, you know, if we rent X amount of those apartments, then we get the entire portfolio. Yeah. I remember how excited that they, they sounded by that. And I was like, well, 
but aren't they doing a disservice by not just giving it to a lot of other agencies? Because I considered myself 10 years ago at the time a very good tenant type agent, and I could rent these homes. I just need access to them. And they're like, no, we just have to, we have to audition for it. And it just really just made no sense to me as an industry. But yeah. then again, I guess in the 90s and 2000s, and even when I joined the business in 2008, 2009, it, that, just, that was just the way it was. It's, business, it's just yeah. old school New York. Yeah. Where, let's go into a couple deep dives. You know, we, we talked about your early days at City Habitats. Let's talk about town. You know, what did you learn there throughout the years? How did you grow as a professional? What were some of your takeaways working with Andrew and, you know, I know Gordon didn't join, but, you know, you have other personalities like Wendy Maitland and, you know, my manager, Itzy, who I, I still, you know, I have a lot of respect for her. You know, what, what were those the years like for you? And then also, let's end with what were the last few days of town like for you? So... Town, so let's back a little bit. City Habitats was, like I said, all rentals. Yeah. And it literally is when I hit year seven there, when I had some of my friends start to turn and say, oh, I just bought an apartment. I didn't know you did sales, mm. right? So then you heard that more and more. Sure. And it started to get at me. And, and the whole rental rat race was like, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. You know? And that's when I went over and then Andrew approached me about coming to town. It went from rentals to high-end sales, high-end rentals, mm-hmm. right? So it was being able, like I'd learned the rental market front and back, every apartment out there, et cetera. And now I got into a whole nother sort of business, which was higher-end sales and rentals. And just learning that entire market and process was in itself a learning experience. And then to, to switch from cold lead generation and teaching my agents how to cold lead generate, you know, through Craigslist and naked apartments Craigslist. and all that. yes all the way to how to deep dive into your spheres of influence and where the gold is really, right? And how to mine your databases and things like that. That's how you sell, you know, four, five, six, 20, $50 million apartments mm-hmm. is through your database, mm-hmm. not through all these other That's right. means that you spend your time on. That's right. And then sort of, you know, that was the first couple of years of town where, where I was there for six years. Where, where were you managing again? I was at Astor Place. No, so I had a non-compete, which I had to negotiate out, um, and with Gary, with Pam, Pam, which oh, was okay. my past answer. Mm-hmm. So I, I negotiated that out. I was released slightly early, but couldn't work on the Upper East Side. I see. So Andrew put me on Fifty Seventh Street. Oh, okay. the, the Crown, the Crown building. building. So I opened. Uh, which is now a condo. Seven Thirty Fifth. I went there and managed, and then came down and managed with Wendy at One Ten Fifth. Oh, One Ten, the building that we're in right now. Yeah. So I managed that until the bitter end. So. Mm. I could tell you the the end of it. I was the last employee standing. I was actually broker of record, mm. and you saw the writing on the wall, especially towards the end. And you I, were the last employee. I thought Brett Solomon was. Shout out Brett. No, <laughs> good guy. So you saw the writing on the wall, and I I had a business partner Ryan Fitzpatrick. We called oh yeah, the office together, mm-hmm. and we said, listen, if this goes down, like we'll just go down with the ship and figure it out later. Mm. Like we'll try to keep the ship together as long as we possibly can. And if it goes down, it goes down, but we're going we're to go down with it. Mm. I mean, people were calling us left and right. Are you going to leave? It's time to leave, blah, blah, blah. So the last, I, I remember it was, I had a meeting with Jackie in the morning, which yeah. was like our, our COO at the time. Jackie um, Fier- Fierro? Pistana. Pistana. Oh, I'm sorry, Pistana. So, uh, and we said, Jackie, like, how long is this going to go on for? Like, what's Andrew thinking? And blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then she's like, I don't know. And then literally we got, we walked, that was at Irving Place. We walked over to here at 110. And then Jackie called us and said, can you come back here and meet with Andrew at three? And we said, yeah. So we went back with Andrew, met Andrew at three, and Andrew says, you know, blah, 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 I'm shutting town down. So he's, uh, we were like, well, what's the time on this? Like 90 days? He's like, today. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean today? Like, like right now? I have, 
I have staff in my office. Yeah. I have 165 people on my roster right now. Like, you go back to the office, you have a conversation with the staff, and we'll help them find other places. Like, literally, so on my way back, it was four in the afternoon. I think it was a Thursday afternoon. On my way back, I texted my staff. I said, meet me at, uh, I forgot the place over here. It's a, a Spanish place on 16th for Margarita. Something like that, yeah. So meet meet here for margaritas. Yeah, like yay! I'm like, oh, great, yeah. <laughs> Happy animal. hour, let's go. So we ordered a round of drinks. I said, uh, you know, I've got we've got some bad news. Unfortunately, it's all of our last days, and everybody started crying and this that. And then I had to go back to the office after that. And anybody who's in the office, I literally said, come back to my office. Everybody, which come back it, to my in office. real estate, it's not really that much because people are probably out. There showing was a lot of people there. I mean, oh, I literally there was, had okay. like forty people in my office, like oh. hysterical crying on a wow. Thursday afternoon. Oh, God. And then it was the, the brokers next, were crying too. Everybody, you know wow. what the problem? Here is the craziest thing, and this I think speaks volumes of town. Like there was people not getting paid at a point. Oh, right. we know. I have friends that had commission checks delayed for months. Yeah, and they still didn't want to leave. Mm. Right? When you're not getting paid, loyalty. Yeah. that's usually like, I mean, we sometimes here, we go 72 hours and people are ready to jump out the windows. <laughs> right? I mean, people legitimately were not getting paid. And like, I had people in my office being like, but I love it here. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, which I think speaks volumes yeah. of the company the and the loyalty. culture. And yeah. The loyalty, yeah. That loyalty so, that, that so we have, in my next 10 days, which I was going to be like, I'm going to focus on myself was focusing on placing 165 uh, of my agents at other companies. Did you? Oh, my God. So what were your recommendations to the agents then? So I brought about 60-something people over under me to here. Here. To to, uh, Compass. Mm. And I was helping them. Because a lot of them had left. I mean, a lot of your close friends slash agents that worked had already left before they closed. We actually, 110 was in its own bubble Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like we had Steve Gold there, Dana Power. Oh yeah, we had a good, a Steve. nice crew there. Okay. That that was pretty solid. It yeah. was like the Esther places. There was a couple manager changes there, where a lot of people had left mm-hmm. at some of the other offices. But right. one ten, we were still going pretty strong. So wh- what were you saying? Oh, you should go to Element. You should go whatever. You should go to Corcoran. You should go to Compass. It's depending on the, the on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what? What, what is most your... of the people went to Compass? Most okay. Yeah. Shout out Sean Hughes, my good friend. He, uh, did you tell him to come here? He did come here. <laughs> he did, I know. I know. Yeah. Him and Ayin came here. Well, yeah. that was, Ayin called me. He goes, where, where am I going? Where are you going? That was literally <laughs> his conversation. Yeah. I said, sit tight, I'll have somebody call you. <laughs> Sounds like Ayin. Yeah. yeah, shout out Ayin. We have a lot of shout outs on this episode, huh? I like the reminiscence of the old days there. Well, let's go back to rentals since this is our, our topic of, of this episode. A lot of anger in the rental market. And I think it's because what partially... Maybe 10% of it is because of what we talked about, you know, roll the dice. Yeah. This year has been especially difficult for tenant side business. And a lot of renters moving into the city for the first time has been very frustrating. We get accused. It's always our fault, right? It's, it's always, always the broker's yeah. fault. We get accused left and right of discrimination or unfairness or whatever it may be. Or broker to broker, direct deal. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We get a lot of just hate and anger and just... Danielle, you deal with a brunt of it. Yes. A lot of it. And it, it can be mentally draining, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it can be mentally draining. You know, what's broken about the New York City rental market, in your opinion? Why is it broken? And how can it be better? It's a loaded question. How no. long is this podcast? <laughs> you talk about five hours. Well, this, you know, I have to... Let's just talk about this specific market right now. There's a lot sure. of blame because right now you probably have 10 applicants for every one apartment. Right. Right. And, you know, the same thing just happened in the sales market for the last 19 months, mm-hmm. right? Where you'd have 
12 offers on that's right right so that same sort of hatred and i i heard the same thing on the sales market he's probably got a direct deal they haven't responded to my offer i don't believe he's got another offer like that whole thing is just part of i guess the the human uh, emotion sure right of you being beat out but there is a lot in the market. You know, rentals are a stepping stone in, in New York City, right? So typically you get into the business, you can make money right away, you do rentals. But unfortunately, ethics is not a focus on that. Right. Right. So there's still a lot of false advertising going on. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of people that put their their pocket before the client where they are maybe chasing a direct deal mm-hmm. or they're not presenting all offers to, to owners because sure. they want to keep their own deal or whatever the case is. So I, I don't know the magic answer of how you how do you clean that up? How do you police that? I think the only way to real police it is if actual fines are given, right? Yeah. If, if people are penalized in the pocket. Mm-hmm. But then you're going to rely on what, the Department of State to do that? And it's I don't many, see that happen. How many transactions happen in a week in New York City, rental transactions? Yeah. And the DOS is going to chase, you know, 500 cases a week? Yeah, I mean, it's unmanageable. So, so as a renter moving whether you already live in New York City or you're coming into Manhattan, how can these people navigate the rental world, whether with a broker or by themselves, without just being stressed or do they, do they just have to have rich families and, and, and high-end jobs? Like, what's the solution here? Well, I, it's not easy, right? It's, it's certainly not easy. But I would say, you know, hire a broker if you can and hire a good broker if you can right yeah. just it's never going to be stressless i don't think i i actually think part of uh, an agent's uh, continuing education should be to move every two years right to move to actually move and be, be on the other renter. side every um, a renter or a buyer on the other side because we're like my seller my buyer's crazy well have you moved in the last two years you'll be crazy <laughs> too yeah like i literally had one of my agents just buy a place in brooklyn and she's ripping her hair out so i said you're the crazy buyer you are the crazy buyer right that's right so I, I, I recommend you go through the process yourself. That's a great idea, actually. You know, it's part of your continued education. You Have you moved in the last 24 months? You must buy a property every two years. <laughs> oh, yes. Great. Yeah. I would love that. Qualify. Um, but hire a broker that knows what they're doing to navigate and deal with all the BS that happens, right? And who ideally can get you from A to Z as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the one of the reasons, whether you're a politician or whether you're just a normal citizen like us, the reason why New York City rentals is as high as it is is not just because people want to live here, but also likely because there's rent control and rent stabilization that is absolutely crushing the inventory in New York City. There was a study done by Value Penguin. Of the 3.191 million occupied housing units in New York City, A little over two-thirds are rented, uh, while less than one-third are owned by the people who live in them. That's point one. Point two, there's a lot of investors, point two is uncurbed. While only around 1% of New York City rental units are rent-controlled, approximately 50% of the New York City rental units are stabilized. So rent stabilization generally applies to apartments, buildings, apartments and buildings with six or more units constructed before 1974, and that includes co-op conversions and condo conversions. So there's just a lot of inventory tied up in the rent-stabilized market. Mm-hmm. If maybe, I'm not saying 50%, but if more of these apartments were quote-unquote deregulated as free market apartments, wouldn't that just increase the inventory all throughout Manhattan and lower on the aggregate, the average rents? Yeah, I mean, just because supp- there's more supply? It's supply and demand, but yeah. the question is, what do you do with the people living in them? That's right. And that's, that's the question everybody's 
you know, up again. So like, what, what are you going to do with the 76-year-old woman who's been living there for 40 years? You, you said it was dwindling out? earlier, but is it dwindling? You said in your one-word answer about the civilization. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a... I think people believe there's more than there is out there. Like like you said, there's not a lot of rent-stabilized apartments out there. There's not. Right? So, and it's it's getting less. But I think part of the problem here is the fact that landlords can't deregulate them right now with the, the rent law changes from 2019. They cannot. That's right. Right? So you have an example is you have that rent control tenant who was spending $650 a month. She's passed away. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion... You're not putting anybody on the street. You should allow the landlord to deregulate that apartment at this point, right? But because you you're not even incentive. They used to be able to renovate it, take a, a percentage of the renovation, put it back into the rent, at least get the rent up to a, a more manageable number. But now, the landlord, there's no incentive for them even to renovate it, right? They can't get the. They lose money renovating. It. That's right. They lose money for the next twenty to thirty years if they That's renovate right. it. So what do you do? You keep it vacant. Yeah. Right until you could potentially combine it with another unit or. There's a few different loopholes for you to get out to get the rent up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think that is certainly hurting us. Yeah, big time. N- not, I don't think that solves the issue right now of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it's a blip on the radar for that. And I think the, what we're dealing with right now is a multitude of factors. What's a good solution for this issue that we have here with these stabilized apartments? Being stabilized and landlords not wanting to release them because they're 75% under market. I mean, the solution should be some sort of compromise between the old law and coming up with something new. Mm-hmm. Like, there's got to be an incentive for an owner to turn the apartment over to make it livable and also make money, mm-hmm. right? Because the cost of doing business, including for landlords, is only going up. So for me to go ahead and spend $100,000 renovating it when I'm not going to recoup that for the next 30 years makes you zero sense you can't. to anybody. Yeah. And it, let's just say, even if I I didn't have the money, I just can't do it. Yeah. Right. Let alone the people that do have the money. Why would I do it? You, yeah. There's no. There's no point. There's just, no point. It just does not make business sense. I think socialism is working to unless a, the the government wants to say, well, we're going to give you uh, tax credits, tax credits, or whatever it is to renovate it. We're mm-hmm. going to give you the money to renovate it. Right. If you're going to house our people. Right. Right. So. We're going to solve two problems here. You get to renovate, uh, you get the money to renovate, and we put somebody who needs the apartment in it. That's right. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's another solution, that's for yeah. sure. It's kind of like winning the lottery. You're on the tenant side, and right. you, you get to go into a stabilized apartment that's actually renovated and works. Well, yeah. well <laughs> usually it's not even habitable if it's not renovated. Mm-hmm. You know, but just imagine someone living there for 45 years. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're dealing with the toilet is in the kitchen or whatever the case is, right? Alphabet City is all Yeah, the electric is outdated. <laughs> like, the place needs to be gutted. Yeah. When you think about the New York City rental market, and it's... Not like any other market, I believe, in America. Mm. Um, I heard maybe Harvard Square is very similar, but outside of that, it's a very niche market. What do you think the brokers can do to make the experience better for consumers? And what do you think the consumers should know to make sure that their experience is also better moving into the future? Transparency. Sure. Right? So just make the, make the process much more. For better. brokers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, brokers and consumers. Yeah. Right. I, I, we're, I don't know. We're not the holders of information anymore. No. Right. And everybody maybe think they are, but we're not. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're just the advisors and getting, getting people through the process. Mm-hmm. So if you could just increase that transparency. Mm. Uh, for 
just to wrap up, I know we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, just one final question. Your experience with managing these real estate agents how many agents do you manage? These real estate agents. <laughs> these, these brokers. Who, how I have many? 219 right now. <laughs> 219, that's it? Yeah. Oh, but do you guys fight over like between managers who gets what brokers? Like, I don't want this agent no, to... No, so it's funny. The way we're structured, <laughs> I'll be, uh, again, transparent with you, yeah. is for 16 years, I was compensated on production. Yes. We're not compensated on production here. That's right. You're not getting a, a piece of our pie right. anymore. So we are compensated on uh, retention and a, a few other me metrics. So we want to keep you here. Yeah. Right? So, but if you come to me, talk, and you say, and I don't manage talk, but I'm using him as an example. But if you say, Dan, I, we're not a good fit, right? I'm not going to get offended. Yeah. And um, you're going to say, I want to work with Danielle. Yeah. Right? Where previously, I would do everything in my power to, keep to say why Danielle's a bad idea. Right? <laughs> because I lose production. Right? So it really works here. And we don't fight. So the answer is we don't fight because we're not incentivized to fight. We're incentivized not to fight. Not to fight. Right? That's a really good, interesting business model. Yeah. If I were to say... I'm going to go to said brokerage. Now, that's a different conversation, right? Oh, yeah. Let's just say, oh, I want to go work for Sirhant. And then go join my boy, Sean McPeak. Shout out, Sean. Um, or, or Maggie Wu. I think she was your agent. She was, was she your manager? Maggie. Maggie. Anyway, yeah. shout out Maggie. She's great. She worked for Sirhant. What would you say to that agent? I mean, it, number one, it depends on their business. Let's just say they're good. Yeah. Top 25% brokers. Well, I would find out what are they really, why are they really moving? What is not working for them? Why are they moving? Why do they think so? just want to explore maybe. Well, I don't think any good broker just wants to explore. All right, maybe they're getting some business. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, Sir well, is giving them a listing. Yeah, well, maybe maybe that is it, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to, if you usually dissect that, like what is the listing? Is it in writing, right? How many people are going to be on that yeah. listing with yeah. you, et cetera, et cetera? And does it make financial sense for you sure. okay. to do so, right? So, and, would, and if it does, would you agree and let them go? Or would you still fight it? Probably both, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. Well, listen, I, I always, listen, I've been at, I've been, a, it was my third company. My second company, I didn't have a choice, right? That's so, how and, choice. and my first two companies were the same owner, right? Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a loyal person at heart, right? <laughs> so if, if I, I could have been with the same person for 20 years, potentially. So I think most people, I never hear of people that have moved and, you know, something revolutionary happened, right? Right. Other than more natural growth. I do think here is a little bit different where if you adopt and and use our tools etc it will enhance your business sure a hundred percent but i don't think and i think this is where a lot of brokers brokerages throughout the country don't really have a shot because they're not investing in it they're not yeah we're going to wrap up here didio has uh one last final wrap-up question for you and then uh we'll be on our way do you have any future predictions for the rental market like how do you see the year closing out <clears throat> I think it's going to, I don't think you're going to see major movements for the rest of the year, right? Now, granted, historically, you may see it slow down come December. Right? Sure, historically, yeah. But I think it's going to be directly tied to unemployment, mm -hmm. right? So you could always follow the rental market is usually tied to the employment rate, right? Mm -hmm. And this is part of what's fueling it. Everybody has a job right now. Some people have two jobs, <laughs> right? So, uh, and I was talking to, to uh, a landlord today. I said, what? what's fueling what do you believe is fueling the market and i said the student population is a whole thing right now so yeah like every student who didn't come to new york for the last two years is coming here now and then what they're seeing is a huge influx of hiring from all the huge law firms and the consultant firms and whatever so until that 
people start laying off because a lot of people are paying the highest salaries they've ever paid. Right. right now, as demand scales back, right, they probably don't need all these people that they scaled up to meet demand, mm -hmm. right? So there, you're going to lay off people, right? And as that unemployment ticks, people are not going to be able to afford the huge rents that they're paying right now, right? Right. So I think we will be dealing with. I hate to use the word apocalyptic, but no. we're going <laughs> to be dealing with a lot of people walking away from leases, and mm. I think the landlords at some point in the near future, in the next twelve to twenty-four months. Don't quote me on it, <laughs> but are going to have a problem with having to renegotiate their current tenants' deals, right? Because I think the market is going to shift. Shift, right. right? Right. That's my crystal ball. But in the in the macro sense of it, where someone gave me a stat, is usually every ten years, twenty million units are built in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Right. But in the last decade, only five million were built. Right. So there's a housing shortage. There's a how there is a, a severe housing housing shortage. Mm -hmm. So. That's not happening. That's not getting corrected overnight. Right, right. And that's a very interesting. But I think we will sure. see waves in the rental market until then. Okay. Well, as people say, the best return on your investment is learning and knowledge. And I think we learned a lot from you today. So thank you, Dan, for your time. I appreciate it. Is there a social media handle that you'd like to, or some sort of plug that you want to give out? At 45 training, as we spoke about for the first uh, 20 minutes. Is that what you? Is that the handle you own, or no? So uh, Morello NYC is my Instagram handle. You two R's and two L's. There we go. M A R R E L L O N Y C, and you can see the studios uh, right on my link tree there. That's awesome. Thank you, Dan, for your time. Appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to all of us in dealing with the rental market for the rest of the year. God bless. <laughs> Thank you.